about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. Wow. Time. Space. Reality. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibility, where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities, creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. I am the Watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question, what if? Hello, and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series, Hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at series two of What If, first seen in December 2023, when, if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends, you could have watched Extended Family, Big Brother Reindeer Games, or My Life with the Walter Boys instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made the Series 2 of What If shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give his thoughts on Series 2 of What If is podcaster Al Kennedy. Al, where can people find you? As traditional, I am on the smoking ruins of what I will call Twitter at House to Astonish. And that, if you think, is an odd name for a Twitter account. It's because it's also the name of the comics podcast, which I've been co-hosting now for 15 years. It's officially the ninth longest running comics podcast in the world. And I say officially, I mean... I spent a good afternoon trying to figure out if there were any that had been going longer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's HouseToAstonish.com, where you can find me and my co-host Paul O'Brien writing about comics and talking about comics. And I also host, or until very recently hosted, the book group interview podcast Desert Island Discworld, where you can hear me interviewing the great and the good about their favourite Discworld novels and generally their life and work, and that's over at DesertIslandDiscworld.com. Okay, so before we go any further, Al, what happens in Series 2 of What If? Well, what doesn't happen in Series 2 of What If? I mean, Series 2 of What If is basically like if somebody had eaten lots of cheese just before bedtime, having just watched some of the better Marvel movies, and then gotten up and transcribed some of their madder dreams. That's the kind of thing that happens in What If Season 2. What If Season 2 had some really interesting stuff, including characters that we've not seen for ages, characters that I didn't expect we'd ever see again, and characters that we'd literally never seen before, but were chosen to anchor an entire episode in quite a brave way that we'll no doubt come on to. Well, I feel this will be a little redundant as a question, but Al, how much did you know about The Watcher before you saw Series 2 of What If? <laughs> the Watcher is a guy who has little upper body strength and a complete bald head. So really it was the first time I'd ever seen myself represented in comics. I always remember The Watcher being something that when I was a teenager reading Marvel comics, if he showed up standing around in the background, you knew that, you know, oh, it was on now. Every single day, the superheroes do world-saving stuff. 
book when the watcher turns up you know that's probably going to be at least a six issue miniseries with a bunch of tie-ins i think it's interesting looking back now i remember being surprised when they first announced the first series of what if i'm thinking how come they've decided to do that but when you look back now they could have been setting it up for a while because i will never tire of pointing out there was a what if section in one season of agents of shield which is basically mm-hmm. what if they joined hydra yep. and in some ways that was actually more like a traditional what if story from the comics but we'll come back to that also they showed up in guardians of the galaxy volume two there were a number of watches in that talking to stan lee and i would say given that they haven't quite confirmed that agents of shield is back on the official timeline now but they put all the netflix shows on there mm. one of which does cross over directly with agents of shield and it's a matter of time before we get that and inhumans cloak and dagger runaways agent carter and i'm still gonna say hellstrom will show up on there <laughs> they have just forgotten hellstrom existed but i think this has been part of the plan all along it clearly have been in place for a long time but i don't think series one quite got it right it was good but it just sort of hit the crossbar i think it was trying to do something too different to what what if actually is and how it mm-hmm. should be and it just came a little unstuck because of that but i think this time around they've really got it right yeah i have to say that having now watched all of the first season and all of the second season i think the hit rate in the second season is quite a lot better than it was in the first season first season you had episodes like the killmonger episode that I doesn't really go anywhere it's definitely the weakest i know some people didn't take to that i like the strange supreme episode but i know a lot of people didn't really take to it but this time around i don't think there are any where you would sit and watch it and go actually that was a real swing and a miss no and i also really like the way i think the big problem with series one was that it wasn't built around like i say like what we recognize as what if which is just a established marvel setup given a slight twist what if this had happened instead whereas i feel with series one they thought of what they wanted to do with the climax first mm. and work backwards and that was this time around they seem to have just come up with a load of ideas and thought what could tie them together as a big climax and it reminded me of Russell T. Davis's original Doctor Who run, particularly the season with Harold Saxon in, mm-hmm. where it isn't a big story. Like it's Harold Saxon's name or influence comes into some of the things that are going on. And then it's like, hang on, who is he? Oh, right, it's the master. Sorry mm. to spoiler it for anyone <laughs> who's still not seen that, but it was like that. It felt like that. And I felt that was so much more accessible and enjoyable, really. Yeah, the only thing that slightly grated on me about that was, like, I love peggy carter i love captain carter as a concept i did think that they really have been hanging the hat of what if on the head of peggy carter and much more so this season even than they did last season because when you get her own episode and then she's key to the 1602 episode and then she's key to the finale and it's like she's great and i would love to hear Haley apple voice that character in any number of seasons going forward but i did think that it was maybe a little bit concentrated around peggy specifically rather than bringing in more of the characters from the other different episodes like i did like the fact that we got to see happy hogan do his turn 
turn into the freak thing in two different episodes. That was good. But I could have definitely done with seeing Happy from that Die Hard episode come back to crawl through some more vents in the Strange Supreme episode. I also thought, I had been hoping that we'd see maybe, say, Kamala Khan or Shang-Chi <laughs> or some of the Eternals maybe. And I did feel slightly let down by that. Or they have immediately after Series 2 finished released some footage from Series 3, which, you know, apparently is nearly ready, which does have the Red Guardian in it. So mm. they're clearly going to do that. So I would say they were probably even anticipating that kind of response from people like me. I do think, like you said, there was a good mix of characters. There were people I didn't expect to see, and I think that really worked in its favour. Yeah, when they had Bill Foster turn up, for example, and I was just like, I have a huge soft spot for Bill Foster because when I started reading comics, started reading Marvel comics specifically, in the early 90s, one of the comics that I was able to get in my local news agents was Marvel Comics Presents, which is this fortnightly anthology series, which for some reason was done as a flip book. I mean, I say that for some reason, but it was obviously so they could get two front covers out of it. But they would have you know two stories on one side of the comic, and then you literally had to turn that whole thing over and start reading from the back cover in. Wolverine was usually the lead character on one side and Ghost Rider lead character on the other, but they would always have the kind of backup strips, as it were, were always kind of you know D to G list characters. And when I started reading it, it was around the time there was, remember, it was like Wolverine and Venom teaming up in the main story, and the second story was Bill Foster as Giant Man. And I was just like, this is a character I did not know existed at all. I feel like I have secret knowledge because this is not someone that I ever saw on Spider-Man and his amazing friends or whatever. And so it was characters like that that made me like a proper kind of died in the wool Marvel fan that I was able to kind of cultivate this little mental Rolodex of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe almost mainly through just seeing characters like Wood God or Monarch Starstalker or whoever turning up in backup strips in Marvel Comics Presents. Well, I think as a slight diversion, I completely understand that. That's why one of the reasons, I mean, I have so much difficulty explaining to people why I like Chief. Hulk attorney at law because people just seem to have taken against it for not much real reason really but one of the main reasons is the wrecking crew showed up in it and they weren't even when I first started reading they weren't really villains that turned up that often and the idea that occasionally this group of thugs and the scientist who's a bit pissed off (laughs) with huge sort of super powered construction tools would turn up and fight with Thor or something I loved them and so actually I didn't expect them I thought maybe if they did the more street level Spider-Man that might appear in that but there we go we got them in quite a high profile project so I understand that completely I will say actually just backtracking slightly I did say they didn't have any more recent inclusions in of course they did have the Ten Rings and Wenwu appearing Mm. in the episode with Hela and also we did get Melina as well just thinking about that actually Kate Blanchett Rachel Weiss obviously Tony Leung didn't do Wenwu but you know get both (laughs) of them in to do a cartoon Imagine if they've been able to get Tony Liu in to do two dozen lines in an episode of What If. Like, that would have been amazing. But even so, it's amazing that people of that stature are doing it. You know, Karen Gillan has said she's retired from playing Nebula, but Nebula meant a lot to her. So she's 
quite clearly still happy to do her in cartoon form. And I yeah. find that quite touching, really. Maybe that's... I don't know, maybe it needed the Series 1 not quite working to get the confidence for Series 2 to approach these people, to go at it saying, right, we know what to do this time. Yeah, and to be honest, I think there are only two episodes this time around that, for me, aren't, like, 100 percenters, and that's only because they're, like, 75 percenters. Let's see if they match up with mine. Well, one of them is The Hangover from Season 1, which is yes. the Iron Man Sakaar episode, which is not as funny as it needs to be. Everyone in it is very annoying instead of funny. There's a very fine line you can tread with the kind of Taika Waititi, Thor Ragnarok, Thor Love and Thunder, and you know, one of those films is on either side of that line. What you want is young, hungry, keen filmmaker Taika Waititi from Thor Ragnarok kind of humour. What you do not want is Tofu's trolley wandering around in a dressing gown Thor Love and Thunder version Taika Waititi kind of comedy. And I kind of felt that the Sakaar episode kind of strayed into that too far, really. And it didn't really go anywhere, I didn't feel. It doesn't, does it? Add to anything. It builds to the drag race, which is a cool set piece, but it takes ages to get there and I kind of wish that they'd done a wee bit more with the gladiatorial side of things and that awesome armour which I have had sitting as a Lego set on top of the Sonos speaker in my living room for literally like three years or whatever That's right because they released it and then dropped the episode because it wasn't finished didn't they which is why I think it should have stayed at the way you know we didn't get that episode and then they turned up at the climax of series one Mm -hmm. with Gamora being brought to join the guard is the multiverse and say no Stark you've not been chosen <laughs> and I think just that brief moment on its own works without the need for an episode to go with it I think that's right I think that's absolutely right but there's that one and then the other one that I don't think works as well is the Star-Lord Ant-Man one just because it's very episodic and it's very scene by scene by scene everything changes and it feels like there isn't an act based structure to it like it feels more like a sketch show that runs together like I could never feel that I knew that I had the shape of the episode well mine slightly differs in that I do see your point about that I did enjoy that episode but the one that I felt could have been better and I'm going to say this very carefully is the one that introduced the new character Corey because I just feel that the backstory they gave her was a very predictable and unimaginative one mm-hmm. that is dime a dozen in any film with sort of a tribe of extraterrestrial natives with slightly different huge body paint <laughs> it's always got that thing about you know a mystical pond or something that they're protecting and I just felt it could have been I felt it needed a little more of a spark of individuality to it yeah I, I see I totally get where you're coming from in terms of an artifact that lands somewhere in this people's land and somebody discovers either the mystical rock or the mystical pool or the mystical tree or whatever and gets powers from that I totally do get that I think that if there had been more of a playing up of the slightly horror element of it because I mean she's led to believe that if she goes near this pool no one ever comes back from it and it turns out that you know no one ever comes back from it because they're being whisked off to you know Wonka land or wherever it is they end up whatever dimension that they're in but the kind of sense of threat doesn't get to stick around for very long you never think that she's going to do anything other than go into this pool and get superpowers well apparently one of the sort of main driving imperatives was that because a lot of it was written during 
during the pandemic that they mm. deliberately steered away from anything nightmarish or horror-based or depressing because, they thought, well, A, we've sort of done that a lot in Series 1 and B, it's not fair to... When people had that panic that the world was ending, it wasn't fair to show the multiverse ending and give them this that This is rep. very true. I do agree with that. And also, I would say, don't get me wrong, I loved Werewolf by Night and I want to see more of those characters, but it seems to me the Sony sort of Spider-Verse movies, which obviously are nudging closer and closer to being part of the actual MCU, mm-hmm. they seem to be going down a more, albeit a slightly comic one, but more of a horror route. And maybe there's need to distance from that as well, possibly. Potentially, yeah. I mean, the, certainly the Venom movies, while they are obviously very kind of, they're light-hearted in as much as they are definitely not to be taken seriously and they're done with that in mind they do still have that kind of body horror element to them. Morbius, I don't know if Morbius recovers it in the last hour because I literally, genuinely, and this is not, I don't know saying this for the sake of saying I literally fell asleep watching Morbius when it turned up on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, which I think is its cardinal sin. People bang on about Morbius. Oh, it's so bad, such a bad film. It's like, it's not, it's actually not a bad film. It's just a very, very boring film. But yeah, I get you what we're coming from. It's like even when we see the trailers for Craven, you know, it's very much like it's a guy who's got a big old spear that he's ready to just like absolutely gouge into somebody or whatever this is not someone who is this is not a hero who's webbing people to a wall this is not a pg-13 kind of character and it's interesting that spider-man actually has quite a lot of those kinds of villains you know you've got characters like vermin and people like that who are like it's a horrible rat man who lives in the sewers that kind of thing i suspect that for the next sony spider-man movie they'll probably go down a more street crime kind of level kingpin sort of level of baddies but we shall see well you have just reminded me inadvertently of one of my biggest comic disappointments ever when I was extremely young which is for some reason I loved the Spider-Man story that Vermin was in mm-hmm. and then a couple of issues later he ventured into the sewers and said this is the right place to find Vermin the rodents and the humankind and I thought oh it's going to be him again but no it was Kingpin and Turk Barrett. <laughs> you see, it's been clever. It's gone in the human vermin. But I was like, where's my rat man? <laughs> I demand the shabby feral escapee from the Box of Delights. No, it was only two really good characters and not some rubbish throwaway <laughs> mothy thing. <laughs> But one thing we've not mentioned, and to be honest with you, I don't think anyone's really mentioned this in any coverage of it at all, but I think was really significant was it was released on consecutive mornings mm. over Christmas and New Year. And I really got into that, so I'm really enjoying it. It reminded me a lot of, it was very sort of the same vibe as watching the Pink Panther in the school holidays <laughs> when you were a kid. My immediate thought, genuinely, my immediate thought was wackadee. Well, it's a... <laughs> I was wondering, surely there was a kind of what-if kind of episode of the Pink Panther where the man with the triangle nose is actually his boss. <laughs> what if the contestants on Wackaday didn't look at each other and say, blur? <laughs> Imagine that world, though, where, you know, the Timmy Mallet of our generation gets to introduce episodes of what-if instead of episodes of Bionic 6. 
they did show some of the 60s Marvel cartoons as part of Wackaday, didn't they? I think they did, yeah. Well, certainly, I seem to remember, did they not show Spider-Woman on there? Or am I thinking of, they definitely showed that on Glenn Michaels' cartoon Cavalcade, actually, as a bit of regional Scottish programming for you there. But I really felt that really helped it. And I think, actually, ahead of it, there were some comments saying, oh, they clearly don't think much of it. They're trying to shuffle it all out in one going out, nobody will notice. But mm. I think it created more of a sense of occasion really i think so and i think that the timing of it being over the christmas period also really helped because you know a lot of people are off on holiday you've got something which is more sort of family oriented than a lot of you know you're not going to sit down and watch eternals with your 10 year old but you could sit down and watch you know happy hogan saves christmas and that kind of thing goes towards building up an early fandom in people like if you go oh remember that christmas where we watched what if every day that kind of thing thing i think that's really important when people do talk about it as a kind of a, oh well it's a disaster that it's been all released in one big blob i mean they're just saying very much the same thing about echo being dropped in you know five episodes in a one or particularly given that the episodes of echo are relatively short but you know, i thought echo was quite good so <laughs> i'm obviously not in tune with the reddit zeitgeist or whatever the thing about the what ifs being on as you see they got released at whatever time in the morning 8 a.m or whatever it was over that Christmas period means that they are the kind of thing that you can watch one every morning with your family or with your kids in a way that you couldn't really do if it was like old school what if, by which I mean like where Marvel's what if comics used to be like, what if we change this one very small thing in this one story? What would happen then? I think my favourite of all those types was from the of the 90s run anyway was um, what if Barbara Ketch became Ghost Rider instead of Danny Ketch? Because in Danny Danny Ketch's Ghost Rider's origin, his sister Barbara's killed in the graveyard where he discovers the motorbike, which gives him the Ghost Rider power. And that issue is basically, what if it were the other way around? And it turns out that what if would be Barbara Ketch becomes Ghost Rider, goes around viciously murdering all of Ghost Rider's enemies. The spirit of vengeance says to her, steady on. And Barbara Ketch says, <laughs> no. And eventually the Punisher has to come and basically put her down because she just liked vengeance too much. It was a sort of the black mirror of what ifs. And I do think as well, like you say, releasing it over Christmas was good because people had the opportunity to see it because I never went on about this in the Secret Invasion episode. But when you look at that, it wasn't so well, it's an understatement to say it wasn't a great series mm. anyway, but it comes out at stupid o'clock in the morning on a working day, yeah. and honestly the commuter trains are full of people trying to watch this extremely dark series, as in <laughs> it wasn't dark tonally at all, it was just they had no bloody lights on in all of it, and I just saw people <laughs> struggling, like flipping their phones round, you know, trying to catch the light from the window, to something that wasn't worth watching, you know, it's it yeah. wasn't certainly wasn't worth that effort to watch and I don't know I'm a big fan of episodic storytelling of weekly releases and so on but I also think where necessary do different and I think this succeeded by doing something different I don't buy into because I, mean, I always come back to using Blur as an example and things but the way people who didn't like them in the 90s were wait, pouncing on anything that happened you know like mm -hmm. oh Graham didn't turn up to that TV appearance because he missed his flight oh that means they're splitting up yeah it's like a witch projection thing I think that 
that's what people are doing here, really, because yeah. I would say on the whole, it was very well received. Yeah, and I think it's the same as the last week or so in Doctor Who fandom, where they've been like, oh, trouble in the RTD camp, Millie Gibson showing the door and all this kind of thing. It's like, have you seen Doctor Who before? You do know that they shuttle these characters in and out all the time, right? <laughs> Companions don't stay forever. And in the 60s, they just went, oh yeah, they've just like gone over there. <laughs> like, yeah. never mentioned them again. Yeah, like in, is it in the War Machines where they're, the Doctor's just like, where's Dodo? And they're just like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, all right, well, let's go. But that is quite a serious point, I think, is that I think the whole Marvel teetering on the brink, the glory days of superhero films are over, etc. thing is quite overplayed. Because I will say, if you look at now, taking into account Secret Invasion was genuinely mm. a waste of everyone's time. I think Quantumania is not as bad as people are determined to make out, but it was a huge step down from the other Ant-Man movies in particular. But around that, first of all, people are conveniently leaving Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 out of their analysis. Yeah. Which is a huge hit and was really, really good. Yes. What If Series 2 very well received. Echo generally has been quite well received, I think. Yeah, Loki Series 2. Loki Season 2. Good reviews, yeah. And I genuinely believe when the dust has settled a bit and when all the lab miles have moved on to something else, when people start watching the Marvels on streaming they will start to say, hang on, this is actually really good. I loved the Marvels and... I'm really, I can't fathom the world in which Disney's response to the box office of it is to say, we didn't meddle with it enough. You know, they said, literally they came out and were saying, oh, we didn't have enough executives on site while it was filming. It's like, you know, what you had was a months long strike in which no one could promote any films. And also there was a silly backlash going on as well. And, you know, people are determined, this whole thing about people saying multiverses ruining cinema and it just always gives me a vision of like people crowding around Stuart Heritage trying to revive him saying what happened? I don't know one minute he's watching Venom let there be carnage the next he was like this <laughs> if you want to shout at something for polluting the media go and have a go at the news that's what's ruining all our lives a movie about three women who can fly that you don't want to see is not going to hurt you yeah I have to say that for Marvel this year it has been such a year of highs and lows because Guardians 3 I thought was phenomenal. I think it was probably the best Marvel movie since the start of Phase 4 to be honest. Like I think since we started being allowed back into cinemas like I would even say it's better than No Way Home and things like that. I thought Guardians 3 was a brilliant send off for those characters but they did also have kind of this terrible one-two punch of Love and Thunder followed by Quantumania and I think if anything those show the need to have a proper hand on the tiller. Like whether it is reining in a director stroke writer who is embracing his rock star status a bit too much or whether it is actually spending the time and the money to have your visual effects sorted out so that it doesn't look like your characters are sort of blurry smears against a background of purple and green that has no scale to it. It was a bit Noel's house party, I will admit that. Yeah, when your film's about people who get big and get small, you really need to have an established sense of scale. Then you got Wakanda Forever, which was terrific 
terrific. You got Guardians 3, which is terrific. I love the Marvels. I really enjoyed Loki Season 2. I really, really enjoyed What If Season 2. Secret Invasion just least said, soonest mended. Let's all just forget that. <laughs> if Bob Iger wants to take the tax write off by removing that one from streaming forever, then I'm happy for him to do that. Yeah, can we have Runaways back on in its place? <laughs> Well, I, I'm genuinely wondering, you know, given the positive reception in the face of a lot of hostility to this and to Echo, maybe there's going to be some kind of turnaround because the next thing that's scheduled to come out, I mean, I still wonder if there's going to be some surprise things dropped in somewhere because there's so many things they finished, like Ironheart, that have mm. not been scheduled yet. But the next scheduled thing is Deadpool 3, mm. which is going to be good. Yeah. Could this be a kind of turnaround moment? I think it could be a bit of a sorbet, frankly. I think it could be a bit of a palate cleanser. I think it could be the kind of in-between busy years of Marvel stuff because I mean, it's, it's the only Marvel cinematic universe movie that's scheduled to come out this year at all and then next year well i mean they're already having to do big reshoots on captain america 4 people are saying oh that shows it's in trouble it's like no it shows that someone's realized that it was in trouble and is doing something about it they've also completely restarted thrown away daredevil born again mm. and restarted it which to be honest i'm glad about because what i had heard so far i was not impressed by <laughs> I do look forward to seeing a bit more of the kind of Daredevil in the courtroom stuff, though, because I really enjoyed that when they got to do that in the Netflix show. Well, I'm not a fan of judging things before they're in the state of readiness, you know, because you only have to look at people say, OMG, why have they given us a terrible costume when there was that photo of Kamala Khan in her awful homemade Carol Danvers mm. costume? Mm. And like, <laughs> people were acting like that was a real thing and sort of, why is Oscar Isaac doing such a bad accent? Why is he doing that really fake Cockney accent? Because that is how... Stephen Grant talks as he is not really a Cockney. But when you've got a photo that reports to show Wilson Fisk and Matt Murdock meeting as children, <laughs> I do not want that. Keep that as far away from Daredevil as possible. But that does look quite promising. But I am of the opinion that, like I say, it has been up and down. There have been some reasons for that, like, you know, the whole issue with the pandemic, interfering with productions things, but then bunching them all together. So I'm not surprised people got a bit tired of, you know, trying to keep up with things and also the less said about this the better but their new big bad turning out to be a big bad in real life yeah and to be honest with you as I've said a couple of times on here as good as he is as an actor I'm not that unhappy on top of, I mean you know he should be written out because of what he's done in yeah. real life but also I didn't think Kang was working I think it was just Thanos part two and I'd rather they did you know something different yeah it's difficult to get behind your big bad when the very first thing you've seen him be in is the thing where he gets beaten up by Ant-Man. Like that's, will Thor and Captain America and Iron Man be able to take on Kang? You know, will Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes come together to take down Kang? It's like, well, a, a guy who worked at Baskin Robbins did it, so sure. They do actually make a joke of that. At the end of Loki series two, they basically say, oh God, Ant-Man and the Wasp beat him. <laughs> But that is interesting because right at the end of Series 2, what if we get a reference of the ending of Loki? Mm, with the world tree, yeah. I am convinced that that wasn't because Loki had that whole weird release history where it kept getting pushed back for no readily obvious reason mm -hmm. and they clearly reshot things and I think that ending came later. And so I wonder if what if was retooled to match with that? I wouldn't be surprised, but I would be very, very interested. Like, if they wanted to try to 
center more of the multiversal stuff around Loki, then I'd be very happy to see that because I could easily watch more Tom Hiddleston chewing the scenery with his dude pals with him. And also the fact that Mobius gets a jet ski. That <laughs> I want to just see, they should bring back the one shots. I just want to see Mobius just doing jet ski and stuff for seven minutes. Actually, we should we somehow completely omitted to mention. Obviously, you know, I had mentioned the ending of it just then, which would normally have been the finishing point of an episode of this. But we haven't mentioned that there's an episode where they do Neil Gaiman's Marvel 1602. Yes, and they do it better than the comic. They do. And I love that because like with Marvel Zombies, you know, it's a hugely important series. But imagine the logistics of trying to do that live action. Mm. And they found the perfect way to do it here. Yeah, absolutely. I like the fact that they kept the twist of Captain America is actually the time displaced Captain America from the modern day. I think that's pretty cool. I like the fact that they also got rid of the massive plot hole that completely derails the comic version of 1602, which is where you find out that lots of the bad stuff that's happening is because the purple man has been controlling everyone. And then you're going to go, but that's not how the purple man's powers work at all. And you go, oh, okay. It's a bit like having Cyclops warm something up with his eye beams. It's like, it's not a heat vision thing he's got. It's a force blast. We didn't get Rick Jones as a minstrel either, which I was hoping we might. Yeah. I loved all the tortured pun stuff in 1602, though. It's like, oh, yonder castle is where the Baron Frank lives. Frank of the castle, they call him. A very dour man and often punishes his lieges. And the other thing that I really dug as well is is that from season one, whether or not the episode itself works, and there, I know that people are on either side of the fence on that one, I think the character of Strange Supreme is a really excellent villain. Like, to get Benedict Cumberbatch to come in and do sneery horribleness, fantastic. And to get that character to come back in a way that almost kind of tries to wrong-foot the audience to begin with, because we do remember, you know, he was on the side of the goodies in the finale of the previous season, and now actually, oh no, he is still completely completely deranged and total Captain Ahab style devotion to bringing back Christine. That works really nicely. And to link together three of the big kind of linchpins of what if as a kind of two season set in Peggy, Strange Supreme and now Kahori, of course, who they made a big deal of. To anchor the finale around the three of them, I thought that really worked. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think overall we can say it's a triumph, basically. Well done, Marvel. Do more of those. <laughs> do more triumphs don't do any rubbishes anymore no more secret invasions more what if season twos thank you maybe the watcher did actually break his vow and interfere to make it work maybe the watcher watched secret invasion and he was like <laughs> oh i have to interfere now <laughs> Well, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Al, if you had the ability to observe all multiverses and realities at the same time, although obviously not secret invasion, but were forbidden from interfering by the ancient laws of your people, what would you use it for? I'd use it to watch the original run of Due South with all the original music cues in it that they can't release on DVD now because the licensing's so prohibitive. Well, that's a novel answer. I'll admit I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> That and Moonlighting for the same reasons. And maybe we'll actually get the Spider Jazz album with the word Spider-Man on the front of it. Who knows? <laughs> they missed a trick not calling that thing Songs for Swinging Lovers. I'll thank you and Excelsior. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Keep Left, Swipe Right at timworthington.org.